Hello, friends, and welcome to your Monday edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. And finally, friends, I can say with a big smile on my face, it is a happy Monday. For the first time in well over a month, we can sit here on a Monday and extol the virtues of an Ipswich Town win on the Saturday before. And a big win it was, 4-0 over Rock Bottom Forest Green Rovers. It is exactly, friends, what the doctor ordered. And fortunately, I'm joined today by a qualified doctor. He's a doctor of thugonomics, keyhole surgery and bench pressing more than you. Stuart Watson, how are you? What's thugonomics? I don't know. I think it's something to do with wrestling, but I quite like the okay. term. <laughs> I'll add that to my homemade um, certificate. Your doctorate, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that hangs on the wall here. Stewie, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. Let's not mess around. The thing that everyone wants to know after this game is, did you break protocol and get a picture with your, your hero, Big Dunk, who was sunk as the Blues ended their funk on Saturday? Like that. Um, no, I didn't. No, oh. I was really, t- I was really torn. Um, I did go down. Andy said to me, "Go down and see him. You know, you want to see him." Yeah. Opposition manager quite often does it down by the down by the tunnel pitch side at Portman Road, whereas Kieran McKenna will come up to the actual media room and sit on the podium and speak to us. My job is obviously to interview Kieran McKenna, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'll do it. Go get, go down there and see him. You know, you want to see him." So. All right, down I scurried. Um, I did manage to get in the, the little huddle, yeah, speaking to, to Duncan afterwards. Um, was just plucking up the courage to say, I was just going to politely say, No questions for me, Duncan, because he was he was pretty downcast. He knew, yeah. his, he knew his team was well beaten. I was just going to say to him, No questions from me, but just wanted to say thanks for giving me lots of lovely football memories growing up. And I could see Kieran McKenna in the corner of my eye speaking to BBC Suffolk. He does the radio down there first. I was thinking, come on, Brenner, keep him talking, keep him talking. But he finished first and um, him and Marcus Nash sort of started heading up the stairs. So I had to I had to cut short. my. I missed my opportunity to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to say what I wanted to say to Duncan and get a picture because I had to scurry after Kieran McKenna up the stairs. But uh, nice to see him nonetheless. I was saying on Thursday's show, and I'm not, I can't, it's one of these things where I can't remember if we've ever actually talked about this on here, whether we've just talked about it in real life where we're not recording what we say. But um, you told me a story once about you being kind of an impromptu mascot at Everton and kind of meeting Big Duncan. He, he, obviously, he's a big guy and he seemed like a giant to a young Watson back then. Um, can you talk yeah. a bit about that? Uh, yeah, that was a game at Tottenham. I yeah. Plucked out of the, uh, the away end as an, as an Everton supporter and got to go down there. Um, and yeah, just sort of loiter by the tunnel and um, gawp at, at football players uh, as they sort of came out as a, as a young boy. He looked an absolute giant to me then, and he still looks a giant now. I have to say, sometimes when you meet footballers in person, they yeah. never seem as big as they do when they're on a football pitch. But Duncan Duncan Ferguson does. He's uh, he's got that presence about him, much in the same way that Vincent Company had a certain pre- presence about him. Hmm. Uh, when we saw him for the Burnley games recently, um, Duncan did as well. But as I said, he's um, he's got a job on his hands. Um, uh, strangely, as I kind of dovetailed Kieran McKenna back up the stairs towards the press room, I sort of said, why, why are you down pitch side today? You're not normally down here. So I had to explain. Yeah, I've come down to see Duncan, actually, Everton supporter. And uh, yeah. he said, K- Kieran sort of puffed his cheeks out and said... He's got a job. He's got his job. Got a job on his hands there with uh, with that team. Um, 
yeah, they're, they're bottom for a reason and they're, they're heading back to the fourth tier. Yeah, and Ferguson actually said as much, didn't he, after the game? Basically, town are better than us. <laughs> all we did yeah. was what we, we had to go, and that's all you can ask for. So let's let's talk about the game then, uh, Stewie. Obviously, a must win for town, um, hosting the side bottom of the table, well adrift of, of things, um, given their relatively poor recent run of form, which is town had to win this game. They duly did 4 0, one goal away from Hutchie's prediction of 5 0, and they could have had five or six or seven, to be fair. Um, last week's show was, was kind of downbeat, necessarily so, given story of things and then the run of results but this week let's make no no excuses we're going to be upbeat this week because they've just won 4-0 and it's good to be upbeat after a big win what did you make of it Stewie? Yeah uh, I'm writing a, a sort of a positivity piece today and we'll, we'll probably mm. highlight some reasons to be optimistic and I can already hear people sort of saying oh is swinging from one extreme to the other. Last week, it was the end of the world. And, you know, suddenly off the back of a, a win against a pretty poor bottom of the table team, we shouldn't suddenly forget about all, all of the things that we highlighted last week. And I do think all of those points about rotation and psychological blows and all the stuff we talked about last week are still valid. Of course they mm. are. Um, a 4-0 win against Forest Green doesn't change all of that, just as the 4-0 win against Morecambe didn't suddenly change everything. A month or so ago, but I do think it's right as we sit here, the sun's shining, spring is in the air, that that we do that we do try and sort of look on the positive side of things. We've given the the, the critical friend speech last mm. week to say, sort of, come on, this is four wins in fifteen now. That's a pretty fair sample size to highlight a few of our concerns. But Saturday was good, and I think it's important now that we, um, you know that we we try and sort of highlight a few reasons to to be cheerful and uh, reasons to believe as we as we head down this final straight. Yeah, you're spot on there, Stuart, aren't you? I mean, clearly Ipswich Town did what they should have done and what they had to do, but equally, a win does make things feel better. So let, let's talk about it a little bit now. So you, what, there's so much to talk about around the game. Obviously, some good goals scored, some really good performances. Um, three members of the team of the week playing in blue. Um, where do you want to start with this one? Um. I don't know who was in the team of the week yet. You picked that up, so I'm going to try and guess who was in it. And you <laughs> Go can on tell then. me. Number three. Uh, Cha- Chaplin, obviously. Yes. Yep. Uh, Broadhead, I would like to yep. think, would be Correct. in there. Yeah. Two more, have we? Um, one more. One more. One more in team of the week. Uh, what if it's going to be between Morsi and Davis? One of those two. Am one I of those correct? Two. I one confirm. of those two. Yep. I'm going to say they're probably picked on statistics which might mean that davis gets in hey there we go big bucks folks look at that leaf davis yeah so leaf davis nathan broad and connor chaplin all in the league one team of the week released this morning um and rightly so obviously connor chaplin got a brace broadhead with a goal and an assist leaf davis with an assist and hit the post um where do you want to start to We, we talked before the game about needing to start fast and there being potential for somewhat of a nervy atmosphere to develop if, if town was still kind of struggling to score before half time, given everything that had gone before. Um, and they duly did start fast. And what, what a nice goal it was, may I say. Lovely little pass from Broadhead into Chaplin, who he doesn't miss those, does he? Super little pass that yeah. one, wasn't it? Um, yeah, uh, Chaplin had already tested the goalkeeper, I think, with 24 seconds on the clock. Ipswich really burst out of the blocks. 1-0 with three minutes. Great goal, as you say. Um, yeah. Gorgeous assist from from Nathan Broadhead. Um, first time zipped pass um, 
through the middle of the pitch, which I like to see. Which a lot of that we're talking a bit about the predictable play and how they mm. were getting funneled wide and they they try and score very similar goals with cutbacks in the box, which did work later in this game. But to score a goal sort of through a central through ball was was quite nice to see a bit of variety. Um, and I think it was really important that Ipswich got that early settler of the nerves because the mood was what it was going into the game. A lot of soul-searching, a lot of analysis off the back of that 0-0 draw at, at Bristol Rovers. You just sense that there could be a little bit of edginess yeah. in the crowd that could have grown, even after they did go 1-0 up. Um, there were some times where the ball wasn't moved quickly enough and, and there was a few sort of groans and... Um, shouts of urgency from the crowd. So had that been nil-nil, um, because Ipswich had a lot of chances after one nil, mm. didn't get the second till near half time. Um, you know, had that been nil-nil, moving to half time with lots of chances coming and going, that that crowd, the atmosphere might have might have um, might have got on top of the players a little bit more. So getting that early goal, I think, was was massive in this game. Broadhead looks such a good player as well, doesn't he? In terms of his technical ability, control of the ball, there was one opportunity, wasn't there? He brought the ball down on his chest and went round a man. Fantastic, fantastic talent. Yeah, unbelievable. We're starting to see what just why Ipswich have paid a million and a half pounds for him. Um, yeah, that touch that you just mentioned where mm. uh, where he tested the goalkeeper was was sublime. Um, gets the goal himself just before half time with a, with a nice bit of movement, and that's. Um, the, the technique for the volley, uh, I think, to, to finish shouldn't be underestimated. Um, he looks he looks a baller, doesn't he? So um, yeah. he's certainly, you know, when we're talking about reasons to be optimistic, he looks like someone that's really sort of uh, added a bit of X factor to the team, which is arguably one of the things that's been missing this season mm. in, in those sort of tight games where there's been periods of frustration we've now seen with the free kick against Sheffield Wednesday and, and things that we've just spoken about that he might be able to add that little sprinkling of stardust that might make the difference. Mm. Uh, uh, it didn't result in a goal, but it, it, it it's worth highlighting. Harry Clark's ball to George Hurst, one of those kind of raking long field, just sailed over his shoulder. Hurst took it well and then just he went to chip the keeper, didn't he? I think it clipped the top of the bar. What a goal that would have been. Had that been scored, Stu, that's a that's a, a beautiful bit of play. It was, yeah, and it was very noticeable to me. You talked about that raking ball over the top that Ipswich did go a lot more direct in this mm. game, certainly in the first half. Again, after all the talk about you know maybe being a bit pr too predictable and do they need to mix it up? I thought there were signs that they did go longer more often, not not just long but direct in terms mm. of you know some ground passes, but everything didn't have to go through a midfield player. Everything didn't have to go through the thirds. There were times when Cameron Burgess would play a slightly uh, more direct pass forwards. Um, and I think that helped Ipswich kind of keep a, a relentless urgency and tempo to their play and just sort of smothered Forest Green, really. Mm. Um, so it was good to see them mix it up a little bit more. Uh, you're right, that would have been a, a hell of a goal. I didn't uh, fully appreciate at the time how good the first touch was from George mm. Hurst to sort of tee himself up. Um Shame that didn't go in. Um, he had one off the line in the second half as as well. So, um, yeah, we've talked we've talked about sort of Nathan Broadhead, but also as McKenna said afterwards, George Hurst, Harry Clark, um, and Massimo Luongo, who I'm sure we'll speak yeah. about in a minute, have all kind of that was another step 
forwards in terms of their fitness, in terms of them sort of bedding into the to the uh, the cohesion and chemistry of of the team. Um, Clark, there was a few times where him and him and Burns didn't quite sort of link up. I think that's a relationship that's still still blooming at the moment. Mm. Clark kind of put the ball out of play, and there was some frustrated body language from from Burns a couple of times. But in general, the four new boys that was a, a big step forwards for all of them. Mm. And you said in your post-match video with with the Hutchman who's off today that once the first goal went in, you never ever had any sort of doubt that it was going to be anything other than a Twitch Town win. Not really. Uh, um, and that's sort of strange to say when Ipswich have led against Cheltenham mm. and Fleetwood at Portman Road and um, still didn't manage to win those games. And that probably would have felt unthinkable in, in both of those games at the time. But Forest Green were quite clearly a level below anything mm. we've seen with you know without sounding too disrespectful it was men versus boys there was a golfing mm. class um and yeah they didn't look like a side that would find any way back in into that game at times it became um the atmosphere never really truly ignited in this game because it was so uh, comfortable for in switch town it felt well, i've seen people say it was almost like a friendly game at times once uh, certainly once that second goal went in mm. before half time it was just a case of uh whether it switch could could flex their muscles and and just enjoy themselves and and get a few things going which um which they did i mean the only knock on this game which if you if you really uh if you're really being picky, is, is that they didn't score more goals because that that could have been uh, that could have been anything in terms of a scoreline Hmm. Let's just round up the rest of the goals then. I'll dot the I's and cross the T's. Connor Chaplin makes it 3-0. Lovely little pullback from Leif Davis. And then I think Freddie the Dapper has obviously been listening to the pod, Stu, because you lamented the lack of diving headers uh, generally in the game. And he's thought, right, next chance I get, I'm going to sort this out for Watson. Are we saying it's a diving header? Is it a stooping header, Stewie? You're, you're very much uh, one for the uh, semantics of these things, particularly on the half volley or volley. So how, how would you describe Freddie's goal? Yeah, stooping header, I think. Yeah. Um, stooping header rather than a diving header. I think diving header, you really have to sort of fling yourself a bit more full full stretch at that. But um, yeah, he got one stooping header and he really should have had two. Yeah, he uh, should. That yeah. Was, uh, it looked bad in real time and watching it back, it's even worse, that one at the end. Um, yeah. So he, he got one goal and, and should have had two. Um so yeah, I mean, two more set piece goals is, is worth, worthy of talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the broadhead one is is a short corner routine. Nice ball from Humphreys from from the angle of the box. Good movement volley. Um, the Ladapo one comes from a set piece as well. Carl Edwards had just come on, won the free kick. Davis puts it to the back post. Burgess header back across goal. Stooping header from Freddie Ladapo. So two two more set piece goals, which is remarkable that Ipswich are. I don't know what the number is on now, but it's an impressive number. It's um, they're, they're the league leaders in terms of set-piece goals. And you think, what, this time last year, we were talking about fans uh, sarcastically chanting, we're going to score from a corner and how Ipswich hadn't scored one in 20-odd games under McKenna. And he was talking about it at fans' forums and things. So that, that's been a remarkable turnaround. Um so yeah, and Connor Chaplin obviously with with a couple more goals. He took the first one really well, touch touch in the box, cool finish, um, and then his second goal was the kind of archetypal Ipswich Town goal that we that that 
we've kind of come to know them for really with with broadhead again involved davis with a with a lovely cutback and um yeah Cha chaplin as so often is the case finds himself in the right place at the right time in the heart of the box and, and finishes and um he's on a pretty impressive goal tally now 17 across all competitions well, there's a lot of, yeah i mean in terms of the stats chaplin's on 17 what's freddie on 15 now is it um, Leif Davis has got eight assists, which is right up there in terms of League One stats. So some impressive numbers. And Town are now back at the top of the scoring charts in, in the third tier as well, Stewie. So plenty of uh, plenty of things to, to like. Um, you mentioned Massimo Luongo, which is a, a good chat to have, isn't it? Clearly Town have been struggling with the, the centre midfield injuries and, and lack of options. And we referenced Morsey and Humphreys at times looking fatigued, notably at, at Bristol last week. Um, so to have someone like Massimo Longo, who's, who's been there and done it and performed at a very high level in a team at, at this level, um, is a real boost. What, what did you make of him when he came on his cameo? Very good. I think he helped um, add a bit of, of urgency to, to Ipswich. Um, Cameron Humphreys has done remarkably well um, this season in general, but also in this last run of games. For him to have played, he started... Uh, the. The Burnley second game in midweek, Sheffield Wednesday, Bristol Rovers, Forest Green, four games in the space of a fortnight um, for a young man who's just turned 19. There's been signs at times that physically he's still developing, but technically there's no questions uh, marks against Cameron Humphreys. Um, he just needs a little bit of help in what is a, which is a kind of a, a breakthrough season. Um there was concerns about sort of central midfield sort of numbers dwindling and, and maybe that affecting Ipswich Town with Lee Evans now being out for a little while. So to get Massimo Luongo back, um, no knock on Cameron Humphreys, is a, is a big boost because he's a player with more experience. Um, and you could see that when he came on. McKenna talked about him just having a really good game since he knows, you know, he, he can watch the game and know how a game is unfolding and he could come on and get up to speed with it straight away. He knows where to be, when to drop on balls. Mm. Um, he looked like he gave them a bit more mid sort of forward thrust, which I think we, we've we seen sort of that drop off a little bit in Sam Morsey over recent weeks. I don't know if that's just, just the games catching up with him a little bit, um, but he's, Sam Morsey isn't, hasn't been breaking into the box and looking like a goal threat. If you remember, sort of Andy went through a spell where he was putting his million pound picks money on Sam Morsey to score every game. I don't think uh, he'd be doing that now because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's a goal from Sam Morsey coming every other game or so at the moment. So um, yeah, that was, that was a, that was another nice positive from this game. The, a, a very bright cameo from Massimo, Massimo Luongo. We're going to talk a little bit about players you want to see maybe a bit more of uh, in the last 14 games too, but Luongo clearly has a, has a role to play. How do you see him slotting into that kind of midfield mix. Can you see him starting and playing alongside Morsey? Yeah, and again, I reiterate that is by no means a knock on Cameron Humphreys at all. Mm. He's had a, he's had a big role in this season, bigger than probably he or anyone anticipated at the start of the campaign, and I'm sure he still has a big role to play over these final 15 games or so. But um, it's... I think it's really important that Ipswich are back up to three central midfielders now. And, and Luongo is someone that Sheffield Wednesday fans were quite relieved to see not feature against them. 
recently because by all accounts he had a superb second half to last season at Sheffield mm. Wednesday when he came back from injury around January time and played a, a key role um, alongside Barry Bannon in Sheffield Wednesday flying up that table um, at the back end of last season. So you hope that he's, you know, this, the same is going to happen uh, at Ipswich, that he's going to come back from an injury, having played not a lot of football in the first half of the season and um, look really fresh and, and have a major impact for Ipswich because, um, you know, he's someone that's got a lot of championship football mm. under his belt. Um, I think he, I think he's got a real good sort of all-rounder base of attributes in terms of he looks like he's quite tenacious he'll get stuck in I think he can be a deep line playmaker but I think he can he can run on the ball and he can provide a bit of thrust so I, yeah I, him and him and Morsi could be a, a nice little duo if uh, if they can get that relationship going at some point indeed right see so what else is there to talk about from Saturday then um we should mention of course so Bobby Robson tributes um a big a big day and also nice to see them um, actually doing things when when the applause was happening as well, which is a nice little touch, wasn't it? Yeah, those are always nice moments. That it's it's happened before. I can't remember where, but where where there's been, you know, an organic decision amongst the fans to to mark a certain minute in the game. Um, sometimes it's sadly because you know somebody has passed away or somebody is ill, or it's marking some sort of moment. And when a team then scores in that in that minute it always feels like a really special moment within the ground and we got that in the well in the 79th minute if we're being uh pedantic here if yeah. we're going to applaud in the 78th minute that needs to start on on 77 but obviously uh the majority sort of waited till till the clock hits 78 and just as that just as that applause started it switched around and scored with that the dapo header which was nice and they ne- nearly repeated the trick on 81 and obviously 78 and 81 selected for to mark sort of Sir Bobby's uh, mm. major silverware achievements at Ipswich Town and uh, yeah really really nice move that ended with uh, Leif Davis thumping the post with, with a swerving shot so that would have been the cherry on the cake I think had that one gone in as well so yeah that, everything around sort of the celebrations of uh, Sir Bobby on what would have been his 90th birthday was um was was really nice. Yeah, Carl Fuller's written a column um, which is going online in about half an hour actually. Coming up about half one it'll be online in print tomorrow, um, talking about Sir Bobby and maybe what we can learn from Sir Bobby and and, and Kieran McKenna, um, comparing their respective starts and some of the murmuring that started around McKenna after the, the poor run. You compare that to to Robson and how long it took him to have success at Ipswich Town and Suggesting if social media was around, what, what would they have made of Sir Bobby back when he started his, his time at town? Um, interesting stuff, worth a read. Have I told my Sir Bobby Robson story on here before, Stewie? It's something I've talked about before. Sir Bobby v Harry Potter, have I told that? Uh, I don't remember any Harry Potter story. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all right. right. So it's, it's a good time to tell it, uh, 90th birthday and all that. Sir Bobby Robson, um, I interviewed him when I was a young cub reporter. He just he just released, I think it was his second autobiography. I can't remember. Anyway, he was at um, Waterstones or whatever it was at the time in Ipswich. Um, and I went down all nervous and that because it's Sir Bobby Robson, absolute legend of the game. Um, and this was at the time when Harry Potter was a, was massive. I mean, I know Harry Potter now is massive, but it was at the time that if you remember when the the books were released, you'd get queues like miles long round stores of people trying to get books. Remember when you actually used to have to go to shops to buy things, Stuart? It seems incredibly old-fashioned and quaint. Anyway, um, 
I went to interview Sir Bobby and on the on the way in, because he was signing books, there was a ridiculous queue like going down. It felt like miles through Ipswich to, to actually get to meet him. Um, I went and chat to him. He was unbelievably friendly um, and very giving of his time and quite, um, what would be the word, quite understanding. That I was I was clearly quite nervous in his presence and, you know, he took his time with me and had a bit of a laugh and joke with me. He was like the best granddad you could imagine, really. Anyway, so I'd, I'd had this nice chat with him and I got chatting with the, the manager of the bookshop. Um, and it had just been, I think, two weeks or so previously that Harry Potter, one of the latest Harry Potters, had been released. And I said, how does this compare to Harry Potter mania? Because it was proper mania back then. Um, and she gave me this great line. She said, oh, it's not even close. That Harry Potter is nothing in Ipswich compared to Sir Bobby in terms of the level of interest. <laughs> and obviously that gave me a great line for the subsequent piece. And it's something I always like to return to because it is, it, is, it is a nice line. To see how popular, though, he was, even then, can't remember what year this was this would have been early 2000s to see what he still meant to everyone in Ipswich mm. um and clearly a legend of the game but especially an icon in Ipswich was really nice so officially Bobby Robson way bigger than Harry Potter there we go yeah um it's well uh, look it, <clears throat> I never cease to kind of it never ceases to not not amaze me but just I have moments where I just realized that the history that this this club has mm. is obviously look Halcyon days are before my time. Um, but there was a moment where Andy and I were halfway down the stairs on Saturday um, or going up the stairs to, to the press box and Terry Butcher mm. stopped and um, looking very dapper in his, his flat cap and he stopped and had a chat with us and he was like, no, I saw something that you guys said on your video or wrote, which immediately I'm like, Terry Butcher's seen something that I've done. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've known Terry for a little while now and had a chat with him. And then Mick Mills then passed through the corridor and then they stopped and had a bit of a, a chat and a laugh together. And I think this club's got two stands named after Robson and Ramsey. It had Mick Mills doing co-coms for BBC Suffolk, uh, Terry Butcher doing co-coms for, for iFollow. Uh, then um, Russell Osman passed through and the three of them were stood there at some stage. I'm thinking three former England internationals, yeah. two of which I think would have captained mm. England. Yeah. And you're just thinking... Wow, what other football club has this? Uh, you know, in in the yeah. country on their doorstep, it's um, it's, it's remarkable, really. And two of the greatest managers the country's ever produced. Yeah. Just crazy, isn't it? Fantastic! What a club! Um, right, Stu. Anything else to mention from from Saturday before we move on? This is your opportunity to wax a bit more lyrical because we've not had much opportunity to do that in recent times. Um, what else is there worth highlighting from the weekend? Um. I thought Caden Jackson had a really lively debut when he came on. And yeah. um, that there is definitely a debate there to be had around sort of that, the starting position out, out there on the right. For, I've said it for a little while now. Caden Jackson is a right winger. He's transitioned fully from striker and he looks like he's getting better and better at, at playing that role. And yes, there is the caveat that he's coming on against a very poor, tired Forest Green Rovers side, but it wasn't just this game. It's mm. been previous games as well, most notably the Burnley games, that he looks like he's really got the bit between his teeth in that right-sided role. And by contrast, I don't know what it is with Wes Burns. We've been saying it for a little while, but just, I don't know if it's just a confidence factor. I think he tweeted recently about sort of Mark, Marcus Rashford and it all being about confidence. And 
whether that's a subtle, subtly alluding to where he's at at the moment, I don't know. But he just doesn't seem to be taking people on in the same way that he used to. There was a, a couple of times he got the ball and he was able to, much like last season, he, he was in a position where he could stand people up 1v1. And you're thinking, go on then, run at him, yeah. beat him. And he just seems to more often than not check back a little bit more now. And you just want him to to go at people a little bit more. And then when Jackson came on, he, he opened up his legs and did that a little bit more. So that right-sided role is quite an interesting uh, debate for me at the moment. That's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about anyway, Stu. So if there's no further notes from the game, should we move directly on to that? Terry Hunt, one of our columnists, has written a, a piece this morning who's got quite a few people talking. And, and part of that, he's he said he's, he's named a few players he'd like to see more of in the last 14 games, um, kind of almost first names on the team sheet sort of vibes in some cases. And clearly he, he's highlighted Chaplin and Broadhead, saying that they'd be in every every town team that he'd pick. Uh, he, but he's also mentioned Freddie Ladapo. He says he thinks, as far as he's concerned, he should be starting every game as the striker. And he's also, in, and this is very surprising because Terry's been very outspoken when it comes to criticising Caden Jackson, he actually says it's something I never thought I'd, I'd write, but I think it's time that we see Caden over Wes Burns on that right side. So I thought it'd be interesting to just have a little chat around that. Are there players in that mould? We've talked at length about rotation and the issues that might be creating um, in terms of consistency. Are there any any players um, that you, you look at now and you think, right, they've got to play Unless they're injured or there's extenuating circumstances, they've got to play. I want to see them play, start every single game. Uh, yes, we talked about them wanting it to be a more settled side. And I think the, the, the midweek games are starting to dry up now. I think there's only two, two left now between now and the end of the yep. season. So the reasons for rotation will diminish now going forwards. And I do want to see a more settled side and some of those relationships um, grow with, within the team. Um there are certain players that I think will, will now be sort of almost penned in on the on the team sheet. I think the goalkeeper debate has now quietened down a little bit. Um, Christian Walton, okay, he's still not got back to his top form. Um, that dropped catch at, at Bristol Rovers, but for me, he's still you've got to stick with Walton, and he's your number one goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, staying sort of at the back end of the team, I actually think Christian Burgess. And Wolfenden is probably the partnership now. I think okay. we're at a stage where you want to stick with a with a centre backs is the the area of the team that I think really benefits the most from being settled. Mm. Um, I know Edmondson's had some injury issues of late, but regardless of that, Burgess for me brings some left sided balance, and I think that really benefits Leif Davis as well. Mm. And if you look at, I haven't analysed this, but I would imagine the sort of the the win ratio and and the stats would probably back up that Burgess's spells in the team have kind of coincided with better periods in in the season. Um, so I'd like I'd like to see that kind of be the the two probably going forwards now. Um, Davis nailed on at left back. Morsi's nailed on obviously mm-hmm. in, in midfield. There's potential for that Luongo for that Luongo Morsi. Uh, partnership to happen in midfield. Broadhead, yes. Chaplin, yes, for obvious reasons. Jackson and Burns debate we've we've just had on here. I'm not in the look, I'm a big fan of Freddie Ladapo and I think we I was quite supportive of him even during the first part of the season when when you know there was a few people that were the swaying on him a little bit. 
And I do feel for him because just as he's kind of, just as the penny, not the penny's dropped, but just as he's kind of got to grips with sort of transitioning from Rotherham mm. style of football to Ipswich style of football, had a really good January. He's really unfortunate that, that George Hurst has arrived, but you can see that Hurst has got some qualities. Mm. And what I would say is George Hurst, I talked about, um, we did talk about coming good in the summer. Luongo having a really strong second half of last mm. season. Same with George Hurst as well. George Hurst, I think 10 of his goals for Portsmouth came from March onwards last season. So they've wanted him for a long time for a reason. And um, I think we're starting to see, as the games go by, we're starting to see him get up to speed. So that that striker one is is a difficult debate for me because you want to give someone the chance to have a run of games and really get that sort of powerful you know, uh, striker that the rest of the division feared, fears mm. going. But I it's a really hard call either way on those two at the moment. There's a really good stat in your piece you wrote last week, Stu, which you talked about actually, which is um, in terms of consecutive starts for a striker all season, the most being three for Freddie Ladapo back in December. And that was obviously before Hurst arrived. Having seen a decent amount of Hurst now, how do you compare and contrast those two as striker options? Um Freddie is very much more of a back-to-goal man. He's, he's a mm. bit more of a link striker. I think he's got better and better at that. He's someone that's that's strong, backs in, engages the centre-half, drops into the little pockets and and sort of links play and gets things going that way, as, as well as being able to get himself on the end of a chance, obviously. Hurst, um, despite being bigger in stature, is, I would say, a little bit more mobile. His instinct is to be on the last shoulder to run in behind. I mentioned we mentioned that chance earlier that he, mm. you know, he's drifted onto the end of the Clark um, ball forwards. So, yeah, slightly slightly different attributes, and I'm sure McKenna will kind of look at who is best suited to different games. Um, Plymouth kind of rotate their their front options, and, and and that's kind of worked for them. It's the the kind of the consistency for me comes in other areas of the team you want your two center halves pretty consistent you want a relationship going in midfield you want your left back and your left winger sort of getting getting something going it's if you can make sure that that sort of team chemistry is pretty solid in other areas of the team then you know that allows you to maybe change the the strike or um a, a little bit but um yeah I, I really don't i i'm not going to uh die on a hill for either of those two strikers at the moment um i can see both of both of their qualities and um that's that would probably be one of my biggest headaches if if i was in kieran mckenna's shoes okay <clears throat> any other players Stu, that um you think might be have a, a kind of a surprising role or bigger role to play in the last the last 14 games we always talk a lot about carl edwards don't we being an x-factor guy and he's yeah. kind of in and out of the the subs options are there anyone else you kind of think of that think you know what they might suddenly come from nowhere or have a, an expanded role in these last few games? I don't know about come from nowhere. Jackson, for, for reasons discussed, might mm. be someone that, that suddenly finds himself with a slightly bigger role, which would have surprised many earlier in the season. If we were talking about sort of most improved player of, of the season, I'd probably put Cameron Burgess in, in that. Mm. You know, if we're talking about someone who is, you know, going to be your most reliable, consistent, does what it says on the tin centre-half... Burgess would probably be that guy for me now. I think he's, um, I think he's come on leaps and bounds this this season. Um, so the ones that perhaps earlier in the season, if I was talking about Jackson pushing for starts and Burgess being the maybe your go-to man at centre half, you, that that would have raised a few eyebrows. 
Um, and and I guess the Luongo factor is still a bit of an unknown, but you can mm. you can definitely see how he might become. Um, he's got the potential to become an increasingly uh, influential figure going forwards. Yeah. Okay, then, Stu. Let's have a chat, shall we? Finish off about the bigger picture. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the bigger picture in recent weeks and how you can't just take games in isolation, and um, that's why there was concern around the, the run that Town were on. Um, you're, as you've already said, you're going to be writing something for tomorrow morning uh, in print and online about reasons to be optimistic. And we make no bones about trying to be optimistic at all times because ultimately that's that's fine, isn't it? We want we want every, everything to be optimistic. We want we want town to be successful, and there's plenty of things to be optimistic around, especially when you look at the games coming up and the, the finish of the season um, with these three games coming up Stu how do you feel now sitting here after a win things always feel better after a win don't they especially a big win a 4-0 at home or whatever that always makes things feel better and then you look at the other things around the league you know town moving up to back up to third for example Bolton finally losing at Wickham who, who have now won five in a row that's interesting keep an eye on also like Shrewsbury who are on an absolute tear they lost at the weekend as well to Fleetwood Shrewsbury hadn't lost a game since New Year's Day and moved all the way up to eighth so yeah, town town back up to third. Not much has changed in terms of the top two. They're still eight points off the top two. I know Plymouth dropped points at the weekend. But how, how do you feel about things now, Stewie? Has it changed in any way? Um, I don't think I don't think the weekend changes a huge amount. But there's no no denying that you do feel a little bit of an extra an extra glow off, off the back of a, of a win and a comprehensive win at that, coupled with the results that you mentioned. Um, any little wobbles that I had about them blowing the top six, I have mm. to say, in the cold light of day when I've been really sort of analytical and measured and, and calm about it. I, famous last words, but I can't I can't see that happening. Mm. I look through it. I, I think we are as where we are. It's going to be really sort of... Um, I think the top two is probably... It's probably just a step too far because if you look at kind of, I started looking at it, it what if Ipswich replicated their reversed fixture results over the mm. final 14 games? You start to look at it and you go, well, they've beat an MK Dons, they beat Burton, they beat Accrington in the reverse fixtures. And, uh, you know, you, if you did like for like results, I think Ipswich would end up around, double check, I wrote this down, I think it's around nine, 90 points, which, yeah. you know, in some seasons would get you in the top two. Um, in others, you'd fall just short, and and with the points totals that most people are on at the moment, it's probably going to end up with them just finishing short. So even if they can get back to their early season form and get get their mojo going and, and get some sort of winning momentum, I still think they've probably left themselves a little bit too much. Mm. It's just about now, you know. I think, as I said in a, in I think the podcast last week, almost getting your head over the fact that the top two is gone. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise that that came early. With the you know the Bristol Rovers game was almost the moment that I think people's mindset switched from okay, the top two is probably gone now. But now it's all about just getting getting as much confidence and momentum as possible going into uh, going into a potential playoff campaign, and that that's probably where I'm at with it at the moment. Hmm. Give us a little sneak preview of what, what you're going to write then in terms of reasons to be optimistic. I'm not expecting you to give us everything. Obviously, save something for the people, Stu. Yeah. But um, when, when you look at that kind of topic of, of things to be optimistic about, what, what do you what do you think of? Clearly, the next three games are reasons to be optimistic because they should win all. Well, 
they should win. They, they mm. must win all three of those. And then when you look at the, the actual final run of the season, yes, they've got those those three difficult away games, haven't they, against the, the playoff rivals, Derby, Barnsley and, and Bolton. But the home games, all, they should win. Wickham on Good Friday looks like a, a big game, potentially. Um, so talk to me about optimism and reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, I think the fix the fixture schedule is is mm. certainly one. Um, I can hear people saying, "Yeah, we felt like that ahead of games against <laughs> Lincoln and Fleetwood mm. and Cheltenham. We can't take anything like that for granted." But there's no doubt. You look at these next three games, backed by a huge away following, seven thousand odd at MK Dons, followed by um, Burton and Accrington at home on a Saturday, Tuesday. I always think that those kind of if you get a home double header, Saturday, Tuesday they can really supercharge your season. I think back, I always reference back to 2014-15 where Ipswich, I think, managed to get sort of maximum six points in those home double headers two or three times. That And that that really, really gets everybody going again, I think. Um, so big opportunity in these next three games, particularly because if I, I, I jotted down the next five games for all of the teams that are up there and on paper, I stress on paper, which doesn't always mean everything but uh, you know Sheffield Wednesday's next five games they've got Charlton Peterborough Portsmouth Bolton Barnsley you know you read those five out that that's quite tricky Derby have got Barnsley next um they've got Plymouth coming up as well Plymouth's next five games Peterborough Charlton Derby Barnsley and then Forest Green so I, I could go through them all but on paper Ipswich's next five games you would take that ahead of everyone else in the top six and um, mm. things can change quite quickly. So momentum, I think, is everything when it comes to promotion chases. And I know we keep saying it, Ipswich need to string wins together. And and I stress that all, all of the things that we raised last week are still valid. Mm. One swallow doesn't make a summer. Ipswich beat a pretty rank bad team on Saturday. It doesn't change anything. It's now about backing it up. They haven't won back-to-back games in the league since... October um so these next yeah these next two three games I think are, are, are vital in kind of setting the tone as to uh to what will follow hmm. just on further big picture stuff I know um, Goldrick scored again at the weekend always interesting he's got, I think he's on 17 now for the season uh, and also Stu, I'm starting to think I'm starting to think it might not happen for a king the dream um he got sent off for Exeter uh in a in a rare in a, rare, in, a rare, in a rare appearance. Mm. So, yeah, maybe Rakeem Harper, is, it's not going to happen for him in Ipswich Town, which is a great shame. And I do apologise, Rakeem, for cursing you with a nickname. The last nickname I'll ever give an Ipswich Town player. Minty, for the record, is very much Stu's, Stu's nickname. Yeah, yeah, I'll own that and hope that... Well, that's, that that's, I, that's working that out all right. Cursed. That's yeah, working out all right for Broadhead. M- Minty certainly gave me, uh, gave me the tingles on Saturday, hey. that's for sure. There he is. Right, Stu. Um... We're coming up to about 45 minutes now. Obviously, it was going to be a shorter one today because it's just the two of us. Anything else you want to you want to discuss around Ipswich Town? Get off your chest. Um, no, just in terms of the reasons to be optimistic. The fact that, you know, they are now the top goal scorers again. 60 yep. goals. Um, players at the top end of the pitch scoring goals. That's a reason to be optimistic. Um, the fact that I mentioned the schedule, that there's now only a couple of midweek games left. Um Plymouth and Bolton both in the trophy still, so that you could you could see that as having a more hectic schedule and, and a bit of a distraction there for those two, possibly. 
the fact that I've said that these January signings are hopefully will get better and better and more embedded as, as time goes on. Um, yeah, the, the, there's other things to, to kind of mention in terms of reasons to be positive. That doesn't suddenly say that everything that we raised last week isn't, isn't dead and isn't still valid. Of course it all is, but, um, yeah, we've we've given Ipswich the little come on, buck your ideas up. You know the the pressure's on now. Sort yourselves out a little bit. Last week, um, I feel like now is a, a vital juncture to kind of highlight some of the reasons to believe and still be positive and still show them that you know we want them to do well. We do, the fans do, everybody is is kind of behind this and hopeful that this can still be a, hmm. a season to remember. And if they can, if they can string another three wins together in these next three games, things could look quite a lot different and certainly the mood around the club would be very different wouldn't it and also you just look at Plymouth top in that top two I can't see Wednesday falling over but I just wonder Plymouth whether or not they might be the ones that potentially have a little stumble given they've lost their keeper and you know that kind of thing you never know you never know it's a bit it's a big ask isn't it with 14 games left but there's still a chance and that's the exciting thing and town have just won 4-0 which is brilliant um right then friends uh that brings us to the end of this week's Quite a short show, as I say, just a two of us today. But clearly, we wanted to talk to you in optimistic tones after the weekend's business. Um, just a reminder, please, to support our friends at Manscaped. Use the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20% off and free delivery. And also, if you want to sort out your digital marketing, your Google ads, your SEO, get involved with the boys at Ginger Pickle. Tony Southgate and the boys at Ginger Pickle will sort you right out with all that good stuff. Um, Stewie, what else have you been doing away from football? What should we talk about? I need to update the, the people on adventures with my air fryer from the weekend. Crispy chili beef, top notch in the air fryer. Did the prawn toast again because that is naughty. That's really nice. And then last night we made chicken katsu curry in the air fryer, Stewie. Really crunchy panko breadcrumb coated chicken with a lovely little katsu sauce. Obviously, you don't make that in the air fryer. But it's top notch. Have I inspired you to, to pull your air fryer out, Stu, and, and start making things? Uh... Yes, can you send these recipes over to me in writing, please? And I'll, um, and I'll I post some pictures of me incinerating it all. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been revelatory so far this air fryer journey for me, uh, and I'm pleased to see that there's a few people um, asking for recipes and, and making them over the weekend. Ian Woolbank was uh, was one was going to try the the Pringles coated fried chicken, so uh, I don't know how that worked out for you, and hopefully you enjoyed it. What else is new with in your world, Watto? How's the training go? We've not talked about you being massive for a while. You, is it bulking season at the moment? It's, it's all, that's the problem, mate. It's always <laughs> bulking season. It's never cutting season. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going all right. I'm... Um, all right mate not too bad i've got no non-football chat for you today i'll be honest um oh have you watched by the way yeah. Stu? this you like this have you watched the have you started watching the new full swing thing on netflix you know the, the thing that follows the pga tour like a behind no the i haven't thing. it's brilliant really good i mean obviously they could not have picked a better time to follow professional golf as it as a live tour appears and there's some i can see it. i haven't watched it all yet but i can see there's going to be some real insights into the kind of um rancor that creates Rory McElroy's being quite a, a key player at the moment. Um and I think he's quite outspoken about that, isn't he? So very interesting. And also to That's... see the relationship between Rory and Tiger Woods is quite nice. Um almost like kind of big brother sort of thing there. Uh, do all these little things that behind the scenes stuff I absolutely love Stu because the problem with sport now is it's so media managed, isn't it? And and everyone speaks in cliches and and kind of riddles. 
So to see people actually being themselves behind the scenes is is really nice. And I think that can only help people be drawn to professional sport. Absolutely. That sounds right up my street, that does. Um, yeah, have a look at it, mate. It's really good. I'll, I'll check that out. It's really good. Right, and friends, what was really good was town winning at the weekend. We, we said it doesn't mean everything is suddenly ripe and rosy in the garden, but it is a step closer. Um, so we, with that, we'll take our leave. We'll get on with our business for the uh, the start of the week. I hope you have a great start for the week. And we'll be back later on this week to talk about the trip to MK Dons and anything else that's happened since. Have a great start to the week, friends, and we'll be back later this week. Mm-hmm.